All right, Bismillah. Gentlemen, pleasure to uh, have you on the show today and to get to know you both better and to discuss uh, many of these important topics. Why don't you introduce yourselves to the audience? Uh, tell, tell us who you are and, and, and what your passion is. Go start off and get the younger one. <laughs> Youngest go first. Uh, yeah, my name is Jabril Salam. I'm from Chesapeake, Virginia. And, um, you know, assalamualaikum. My passion is podcasting, business, and of course, football, baby. Football. Football. Mm. Mashallah. What's your, do you have like a favorite team or? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Liverpool FC in Liverpool, England. Right now, we should be champions, but because of what is going on, uh, this pandemic um, is very uh, uncertain times right now. So we'll see what happens with the rest of the competition. How about you, sir? Yes, um, Hamid Hassan, uh, co-host of the Younger Muslim podcast. Um, was uh, Grew up in Reston, Virginia. Um, family came from Egypt. Love, just like Jabril, love playing football, love family, podcasting, uh, spending quality time with friends, you know, the, the basics. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for joining me. And uh, I hope, inshallah, we'll have a, an awesome discussion today. So we're, we're hoping to discuss a few themes like culture, religion. What does it mean to be, you know, young, successful, and Muslim today? And, uh, you know, we may get into all kinds of branches of these fundamental topics. So, you know, as, as two young men doing a podcast, engaging with the Muslim youth, you know, constantly, what do you guys find, just out of my own curiosity as a human scientist, what are some of the common themes that keep coming up? You know, the, the pain points, the issues. I mean, is it mostly relationships? Is it mostly halal and haram? Is it, you know, pretty much all is game kind of thing? Yeah, man. I think it's, I think every issue, there's a group of young people who can really relate to that issue. So whether it be, you know, they're having issues with marriage um, and even within the in the spectrum of marriage, you have, you know, my parents, you have how do I find the right person? You have um, it's long distance. You have, you know, I'm on my dean. They're not. It's, it's so many different points within each point that, um, you know, young people have to deal with. But, yeah, I mean, you have relationships. You have um, the roller coaster that is spirituality. You have, you know, how how to maintain a religious, um, a religious and spiritual demeanor while also being able to function in this secular world, the secular country that is, you know, constantly becoming. So yeah, we get people from all walks of life all over the world that, you know, either listen to us or they reach out and they're really just trying to figure out their own spirituality and how they can make that work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I would say to add to uh, Jabril's point, because he's, he's, you know, hit the nail on the head with it. I definitely think it also varies by um, age range, you know, um, coming between the ages of zero <laughs> to like eight or nine. Really, all you're learning at that point or what you see is just parents telling you what's halal and halal because they're, they're not telling you about marriage at that point. You feel me? It's really young. So in the beginning, early stages of life is just okay. It's haram, it's halal, and everything else goes. But then as you get older, uh, other things start coming to play. So going into your teenage years, parents might not talk about marriage, but that's when, like, you know, parents have, like, a P 
people like to call it like a chokehold on their children going into the teenage years, like really watching what they're doing and want to be involved in everything. And it can be a culture thing, but it can also be a spiritual thing as well. Because like, you know, if your parents are aligned spiritually, they're not going to really let you make those mistakes on your own. For example, we had this brother who reached out to us. He, he He's on our team, actually. And he's going through something. And then his family's from Pakistan, my family's from Egypt. And I told you, bro, I started laughing. He's like, yeah, it's some serious. I was like, you know what? I was like, I was in that stage of my life five years ago. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. it was the same exact thing. And subhanAllah, you don't think it's different. So I think it really goes by the age groups. But there's one thing that kind of covers the whole spectrum is relationships. And I think in marriage, I think that starts from like age, you know, sadly, 13 to 14, all the way until you're like, to 30 you know where that's like a constant uh conversation that's being had so i mean everything's about relationships when you think about it the human being is a relational creature it's about how we relate to money how we relate to the dunya how we relate to the dean how we relate to others it's all relationships and then what's so funny too about the whole the marriage crisis that existed even when i was a teenager which is you know you're raised all your life no boyfriend, no girlfriend. Don't talk to yeah. boys. Don't talk to girls. What are you watching? What are you doing? And then, you know, you go through the conveyor belt of go to the masjid, you know, up, you know, follow the follow our, our formal religious order, go to college, get a nice job. And then when you're in your mid 20s, 30s, you're still living at home and everyone's like, why aren't you married? Yeah. It's like, there was no yeah. process. There's no process. <laughs> it's like, I'm told it's a biohazard for all my life. And then everyone's, yeah. uh, you know, hounding me because I'm not married. And there's like something wrong with me. You know, this that's, is sad. That's that's really interesting because right now I'm learning about um I've been I've been very interested and now start to dig more into um the fiqh of sexuality and um sexual relations between husband and wife. Um and it's interesting because in Islam, it, I think it's called erotology, is really the study of sex in our religion and how important it is and it's things that are never talked about it's almost like um because of the western influence um there's this there's this prudence put on sexuality within islam that we don't talk about um and and it's become this very misogynistic type of uh conversation where it's all about the man and not so much the woman and you know we could go on about this forever but um as i'm learning more about it you start to realize that Islam really. Hamida, get out! Get out! Get out! Yeah. Hamida, get out! Yeah, um, the, you know, you start to really learn that Islam has an extreme focus on, as you said before, relationships and how important it is to uh, fulfill every aspect of those relationships. And so, like you said, we grow up all this time without learning about how to engage with women or with men or how to engage, you know, with our husband or wives. And then the night of your, you know, the night of your wedding, you're like, well, let's read a book. <laughs> like, you know, no, you we, no, we've we've got a little more instinct than that, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, no, absolutely. It's, like it's, still, it's still this very awkward. Um, it's a very awkward encounter throughout. You said the whole process is awkward because we're not allowed. It's almost like we're not allowed to look at women. We're not allowed to talk to them. But then all of a sudden, we hit the age and you're like. Yo, get married. And you're like, 
Right. And then all the and then several guys and women that I know, I mean I think it's almost statistically the case where you're going to go through anywhere between 3 to 5 courtships before something kicks in. I mean locks mm-hmm. in, right? Why? Because many of these same situations, we don't date often, right? And so the courtship is the training ground. Mm-hmm. That's where you make a lot of your mistakes. That's where you realize, wow, like I'm really immature or I'm very jealous or I'm, you know, focused too much on her physical features and not really trying to find out who she really is. It's like, ah, you know, deal breaker. Her thing isn't big enough, right? Or whatever. And then people just, so mm-hmm. people have to go through these different courtships to, you know, almost learn all that training that they never got beforehand. And it's sad when people get maligned, like there's something wrong with you now, right? Especially sisters, like, why aren't you married yet? You're 30. Why aren't you? It's like, why aren't we also creating a more practical process from an early age forward to make sure that while we protect ourselves along the way, we're also gaining the the knowledge and skills that can help us hone in on that, uh, you know, marital process when the time comes right but it's almost like we just zero training and then we're expected to be masters of the subject right away it's like yeah it's not doesn't work that way you know and you won't stop learning anyways once you are married you know so so i think that there's also this other contrast to that which is like oh if i read five books and i take all these muslim marriage fic courses like i'm somehow now an expert in marriage like no you're not because living with somebody is a whole other ball game, right? Then it's like talking about football and understanding the rule book, but being on the field, you know, feeling your breath, running, pulling muscles, it's a whole other ball game than theoretical yeah. football, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, There's one thing to be a fan, but another thing to hop on the field. Exactly. Exactly. No, and and I think we we focus on uh, the end game a lot is just kind of getting married. You know, alhamdulillah, I'm in the process of getting married myself. Um, and the toughest thing is that I got I got good training because, you know, I'm the eldest, I have sisters, so I kind of understand, like, emotional intelligence and kind of help people. But um, the issue was that um, once I got to that point, right, going to marriage and everything like that, the issue was that I didn't really know how to um, deal with the woman fully. You feel me? Just because those conversations aren't really had like are had like girls saying on a daily basis between men and women. So even the whole courtship that you mentioned, brother, I like that brother cream, that whole stage is also diluted and kind of restricted because at that phase, you're not really trying to get to nobody or get into their emotions. You're just trying to get it in and figure out those sexual urges or do, or do the things that you weren't able to do from a younger cause it's haram halal until you get married. Right. But the problem is that a lot of brothers, you know, they go ahead and get all that stuff out the way. Then when they get to those Muslim women, it's a whole different ballgame. You see what yeah. I'm saying? Because yeah. those other women that you were dealing with, you really, I'm not saying you didn't take it serious, but because marriage wasn't the case, everything was kind of chill. So you would check on her, but make sure she was kind of good, but not really build an emotional system for her to be not only good, but maintain that goodness for I guess not the rest of her life, but giving her like a proper system in place. You feel me? Are you so talking about well. like dating before marriage? So you keep dating it, before you're marriage. You're trying to yeah. keep it good, yeah. good enough so that I still get laid, 
but not good enough of an investment that this is going to go somewhere to a serious marriage. Is that what you're referring to? Yeah, that's usually what it is on the streets. Just keeping a hundred percent, just on the yeah. ground level. Because right now, even going through the process, I legitimately find myself just like, oh yeah, Allah, this is hard. Now I know why people don't get married. This is hard work. <laughs> no, for real. Now I know why people are waiting, bro. This is hard work. You like, and then I can't even even imagine when I get to the position and I'm living with somebody. So we have none of that training. It's like, okay, you don't do none of that, none of that. And then it's like, boom, get two people together, put them in a the house and just expect it to work. You feel yeah, me? That's so, true. Yeah. That's true. There's, yeah. many, there's many bearded boys and many hijabi <laughs> girls getting married, but they're not really a man and woman yet because no. it's very no. challenging to assume someone will have proper life experiences, life skills, marital skills, when all I know is I went to school, I came home, I went to college, I came home, and my mom still folds my laundry, my dad still tells me what to do, and then, <laughs> yeah. you're, and then mashallah, you, yeah, you, you sign an ikah paper one month later after getting to know this family friend's daughter, mm-hmm. and now you're shipped off, and bismillah, Allahu Akbar, and we yep. spent 100k on the wedding, and you know, go work <laughs> it out now. It's like... That's, yeah. you know, and yeah. it's no wonder why statistically we have high chances of uh, major risk, if not divorce with Muslim yeah. marriages, because it's not about, oh, you're both Muslim, you're both Sudani, you're both Indian. That's not going to take us far because all the marriages that are divorced right now, they all followed that setup. We're both Desi, we're both doctors, we're both Egyptian, we're both engineers, we're both this, we're both that. And it doesn't work out after all, because it's not about just what looks good on paper. It's about what looks good. You know, um, in in the broader sense of you know what it means to be to have human compatibility, and certainly similar culture helps, and of course similar religious worldview. But even people that are both Muslim and pray five times a day, they clash heads when it comes to their deen because the way we make meaning of it could be worlds apart, right? Yeah, mm. and and those are the questions that are asked. You know, a lot of relationships, those questions aren't talked about, or those questions are asked and. Um, we don't understand how to to engage with someone and, and talk about those things. So, you know, Muhammad mentioned the dating process. You know, uh, we talk a lot on our podcast about how, you know, when we went to college, we got away from like the life of the dean. We got off the path. However, I'm very grateful for it because now that I really am in a mental state to look for a wife, mm-hmm. I know the things that I shouldn't ask or shouldn't look for, the things that really are important. Um, Because you learn early on, okay, I know that religion, children, family structure, what type of lifestyle you want to live, you know, the real important things need to be asked right away. All right. Um, And alhamdulillah, I have very, very uh, in touch parents. So they were able to kind of, you know, guide me and um, so on and so forth early on. But there was still a lot of things that we didn't talk about, like with most uh, I I can only say Muslim families, because, you know, like we said, we get a lot of of our audience that's saying, hey, my family hasn't taught me about dating. We haven't talked about um, how to talk to girls or how to talk to guys. Haven't talked about sex. Haven't talked about any of that stuff. So it's it's completely foreign to us. Mm-hmm. Um, so like the fact that we both had to go off the path and now we're back on it, it's like subhanAllah, like that had to happen in order for us to be able to help other people and tell them mm-hmm. like we have a we have a friend who, you know, alhamdulillah, he's still a virgin. But he's getting up in age and he was like, oh, my God, like, (laughs) what should I do? How do I do this? And I was like, listen, I promise you it's worth the wait because no one has that conversation. Like we have this we have this weird um, 
uh, well, it's not really, well, it's, yeah, it's weird, right? Like it goes against what we believe as Muslims that you should wait um, for that person, right? You should wait for a wife or a husband, whatever, but we don't have that conversation because it's, it's not looked as being a cool topic. So you never really get to have a conversation with someone saying, this is why you should wait, or this is why, this is the things you should look for in a potential wife because I've been through it and I know that you can date somebody for four or five years and it's still going to go down the drain, but you can meet somebody and talk to them and get to really know them by asking X, Y, and Z and it'll go way smoother, you know? So we really have to start being very real and upfront about how we engage and how we begin those conversations about marriage and relationships and so on and so forth. So that can, like Muhammad said, it can be something that we're nurturing longer term. Yeah. So a couple of things came up for me, if you guys don't mind I, to comment on, you know, just from yes. my experiences, you know, I want to ask both of you. So why, why, what is the way that you kind of sell or pitch the the benefits of virginity because like you're saying it's not a cool topic it's it's really looked down on today right and the question is is ultimately what's the value exchange right to not have a girlfriend or boyfriend or not get to explore all those things versus you know really trying to preserve and maintain that what's your take on it as young men man i think that's a phenomenal question um it kind of sucks, but you know, the same <laughs> everything starts at right. Yeah. <laughs> and the reason why I say that is that um, growing up myself, uh, my dad always worked. You feel me? Just like Jabril's family, my dad always worked, and my mom was in Egypt, unfortunately, for a good a good amount of my uh, of a, a majority of my life for about ten years. So, growing up and being a young black man here in America, you know, I'm growing up and I'm seeing people as young as elementary school have boyfriends and girlfriends and being happy and taking pictures and going out and talk about we're going to get married and going to middle school. And then you have other people saying like, Hey, these are my, it was just my joints. I got a few of them, you know? So it's like, at that point you get, you get really lonely, you know, cause even like your best friends get boyfriends and girlfriends and it would have been nice if I was younger, if my parents had the time, right. Uh, they'd be like, Hey Muhammad, look, these are the reasons why, you know, you want to stay a virgin. We know that things are going to get tough and you're going to feel lonely, but come talk to us. You're not the only person like we waited, you know, your uncle waited. It would be nice to know like a lot of other people were in the same boat rather than me leaving my house and seeing that everybody else is not on that boat and I'm the only one. Do you feel me? And even going into high school, like if you were a virgin, you, you would get clowned. Yeah. Like I'm talking clown to the point where even girls would clown you. And I'm talking about not like a regular, just like, yo, bro, are you, are you straight? You know what I'm saying? Like, are you, you must, yeah, you, I think he must be gay. I don't think Mo even likes girls, dog, because he has, I, I don't even see him talking to girls, you know? But they didn't know I was just shy. <laughs> like, you know, I, I wanted a girlfriend, <laughs> but I was shy. I didn't have the confidence to go and talk to somebody. But uh, like with all that pressure, all that constraints, it's only a matter of time until you pop or until they legitimately just, just they're going to get to a point where, your friends are going to force even a girl on you. For example, they will even bring a girl that's quote unquote, they call like a goer or just like a, you know, I don't want to go into details, but a girl that's actually has sexual experience and be the ones that, yeah, I helped Mo, you know, biggest virginity. Yeah, it was me. He's a player now. So it, it goes to that extreme yeah. on a daily. So, 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I graduated high school in 1999, and all my my whole crew they all lost their virginity. But you know, by the time yeah. they graduated high school, but it wasn't the same type of, of peer pressure you're describing. You know, and I mm-hmm. think social media and access to porn has a lot to do with it because you're using this as a standard. You know, yeah, when, yeah, I've, yeah. when I've spoken to some young uh, sisters, for example, telling me about some of these Snapchat videos they get from guys. I mean, it's pornographic, right? And it's of yeah, them, right? And it's like, this yeah. is what people are watching. Or, for example, young men who tell me, Kareem, you know, my buddies, you know, 12, 13-year-olds, sending me videos of, of, you know, vicious, explicit porn clips. And if wow. you don't react the way the crew wants you to, in other words, you've got to laugh yeah. and make, you know, comments yeah. about how she's a slut or whatever, then you're yeah. ostracized. So even yeah, the child yeah. who's not looking yeah. for it, he wants to preserve his fitra, he's just minding his own business. Like, hey, why can't we just play this video game? Why you got to send me this filth? But then if I don't respond accordingly, it's actually going to threaten my social repertoire at school, right? And so yeah. this type of, you know, kind of new wave of pressure of, you know, it's unacceptable for you to be a virgin. You're either gay, you're either messed up, you're mm-hmm. either this, and that people will try to enforce you to, you know, finally pop the cherry or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. That type of st- mentality is really, um, I mean, that's just a whole ball, new ball game of peer pressure that, that's tough. But, but you know what? One thing that um, Muhammad and I talk about often is that, you know, he, he mentioned his parents. The, the big reason why, you know, his parents couldn't talk to him about this because that isn't part of their culture. They didn't grow up with the hypersexualized culture where mm-hmm. music, where movie, basically every aspect of entertainment has some inkling of sex within it. That's so it's easy, it's easy for, you know, you know, your, your past relatives, ancestors to um, avoid, avoid that because guess what? You know, you might not speaking for anybody specifically, but we know a lot of people whose grandparents or parents grew up in very small villages and towns where, you know, they were predestined to get married to this one person from the age of six. Mm-hmm. Right. Or six so months it, or six months <laughs> before they were born. <laughs> so it's like there was never that pressure of, oh, like you're a virgin, because if you weren't a virgin, it was bad. The, the, the culture was opposite. However, mm-hmm. now where, um, you know, as I said before, in Western society, sex was very prudent. So it, there, you know, we weren't, sex wasn't something that was talked about. Um, whereas in Eastern culture from, from people that I'm becoming friends with, it's something that's explicitly talked about. Um, Dude, they, the West, the Western, medieval Europe used to see the Muslim, the Orient as over eroticized and sexualized. Exactly. Because we, it was in our religion and it was in our common um, cultural talks, right? And understanding mm-hmm. of things. I mm-hmm. mean, going back to what you were saying about sexuality and erotology, um, yes, we have immense literature on this in our tradition. And yeah. in fact, the Quran talks about sex. Yeah. The hadiths talk about it, right? So, yeah. you know, I remember once giving a talk um, at a masjid and uh, the parents were like, how do we talk to about to our kids about sex? It's like, it's really hard. And I'm like, well, why is it really hard? Because number one, it's how we all got here. <laughs> number two, we all want it and we're going to do it most likely, right? The, 90% of the planet is going to probably embark in a sexual relationship, right? Number three, the Quran and Sunnah discusses it. Omar discussed it with the Prophet. Others discussed it with the Prophet. Men and women. Why is it then something that we've made it such a taboo? Yeah, that's, yeah. On, that's on us. 
You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Because it's easy for us to talk about, um, you know, how you have to study what I want you to study or how you've got to mm-hmm. make money and how you got to be successful or how you got to do this. And that's also important. But what about, you know, this fundamental life force and, and activity that that gives life and is the glue of all human intimacy and connection. And that's something we're just like, hey, let's table that for generations yeah. to come. I mean, you know, and again, this doesn't mean we need to also be, you know, you can, the point here is that discussing these topics with adab and with hikmah is is what what I'm referring to, right? I'm not saying, yeah, you know, you know, a dad should watch something explicit with their son and be like, "Hey, this is what you're, you know, what you do or no, exactly. but but there has to be some basic education, yeah. something. Mm-hmm. And again, Islam offers us some a toolkit on that, right? There is Well, Korean, to, yeah. To to go to go to the question that you asked before, how do you make virginity cool? How do you explain the reason why someone should be a virgin? Um, recently I've had to have this talk with multiple young men and the way I've explained it to them is whenever you have, uh, sex with someone who you aren't married to, or that you aren't spiritually, mentally, emotionally, uh, vested in long-term, it takes a little bit of your soul and it's a little piece of you that you cannot replace or get back. Mm-hmm. Um, or that you have to at least try and relearn intimacy, um, mm-hmm. because that's a very, like, to have sex with somebody, to be inside or to be, you know, connected to somebody in that way is, is one of the highest forms of emotional transfer, uh, transference. You can't, you know what I'm saying? Like, you can't really connect. You can't connect with your friends that way. can't connect with yeah. your parents that way. This is someone who you are designating to be your emotional connect. And um, that's a connection that I feel like you can only have with that person and God. Um, that that's how that's how important that relationship is. So when you freely give it away, you start to lose more of your spiritual, emotional um, intelligence because you're just giving it out willy nilly. So to this specific friend, I told him I was like, it's worth the wait because for you to have to unlearn or to try and retrain your emotional connection with your future wife, you know, you want to go in there and say, and you want to go in there learning about how to have that connection and make it stronger. uh, But learn it with her, like learn how to please her, learn how to connect with her, not just on a sexual level, but emotional level. Like um, you can have all the girlfriends in the world, but you don't want to be laid up with 10, 15 girls and, you know, now that's just a crazy example, but you don't want to be laid up with all these people. And then you get to your wife, you're like, oh, this is kind of boring. I've done this for years in advance. You want to learn these things and learn how to do it with this person. Um, and and that's just how you make a connection even better. Yeah. No, I think you're spot on because that's a very similar kind of metaphor that I've given people. I say, look, picture your heart has a treasure chest. And every time mm-hmm. you sleep with somebody, you give them one of those jewels and they take one from you and you never mm-hmm. get it back. They, yeah. They're always holding it. And that's why if mine is blue and let's say yours is orange, every time mm-hmm. we walk by each other at a conference in the future or at school, those gems glow 
when we come in proximity of that person. That's why there's always that mm. weird feeling of, oh, dude, my ex-girlfriend, you know, damn, she was crazy, right? But, you know, <laughs> you, 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 you remember it all comes back, right? And, it does. Wow. And, and, and it's like at the mo- same time, the reasons why you're not with her and also the reasons why you kind of miss her all at the same time. So there is that jewel that you give away. And you're right. You wear your soul thin over time. And I think on the point that you also mentioned there, sir, is there is this real principle of the value exchange law, which is, look, the way I see it is there's pain and pleasure in either scenario, right? And often youth focus on all the good stuff. I'm going to have someone because humans fundamentally were designed to need attention, affection, approval, acknowledgement, appreciation. We want to feel attractive. We want to feel lovable. We want that companionship and sense of belonging, right? Either to a group, a friends, a team uh, and a romantic, you know, relationship. Sure, that's fundamental to what it means to be human. And that's very important, I think, for young people to recognize is these desires or these needs are fundamentally human and they're not wrong in and of themselves because the way I think that the whole haram hammer that a lot of us get smashed with is you're disgusting for even feeling these Mm -hmm. things it's like no 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 no. that's that's not the point the point here is don't fulfill it in a disgusting way like because Mm. ooh, i like that i like mm -hmm. that because think about it if i get a girlfriend now and i have all the good times I'm only focusing on the Instagram photos and the text messages and the, you know, the intimacy and all. And people will be like, oh, he has a girlfriend. So my status or whatever in your little bubble of high school or college or whatever. Right. But uh, if you're not going to marry her, it inevitably will end. She's either going to leave you or you're going to leave her. So it's over. Right. The investment, the ROI on that return on investment isn't high. Especially when you're very young, you don't, you know, you're just, it's going to go and pass. And then what a lot of kids do is when the relationship's over, we go to a rebound or we get Mm -hmm. into another relationship quick because we don't know how to cope with feeling rejected or feeling grief and loss because we never developed those skills. So we jump to relationship to relationship and we keep what? Giving out those jewels and our soul gets thinner and thinner. Then there's the cases where guys are like, mashallah, or women, I'm not getting a boyfriend, I'm not getting a girlfriend, but then they're watching porn all day, right? Or they're watching mm-hmm. porn for many years, right? On yeah. and off. That's also, I would even argue sometimes even more damaging. Why? Because yeah. there's no human uh, connection or human uh, you know, relationship at all. It's just okay. pure synthetic artificial fantasy. And it doesn't actually teach you um, you know, the real things that would happen if you did have a girlfriend, right? It's like sometimes yeah. you, know, you still got to deal with this human being here. Porn, <laughs> you don't do that. So the bottom line is, if I theoretically have hundreds of different women downloaded into my brain from relationships, from porn, it's true. My frame of reference becomes so complex, so deeply impressioned that it becomes very challenging. And I know this for a fact because I've worked with sex addicts for years it becomes very challenging to really appreciate the beauty and blessing of your future wife or husband, right? Because you're always comparing this with all that porn. You're always comparing how this is with those five other girlfriends I had. And you're actually hijacking or sabotaging your own sense of fulfillment and certainly your wife, right? Or husband. So there is, there are, you have to remember, ladies and gentlemen, that the value exchange bottom line is you're either getting pros and you're either getting pain and pleasure in one form over here. Like let's say just letting your nephs do whatever it wants, 
or you're going to have pain and pleasure by disciplining your nafs. Either way, you're going to have discomfort and some suffering, and you're also going to get pleasure and gain. But I always ask people, which path is worth the suffering in the big picture and long term? The one that's going to give you ultimately minimize damage and maximum profit or benefit. That's what a smart person does, right? As a business guy, you guys know this, right? You know, a business person never think, they always think about how can I minimize expenses and maximize profits? That's when you're on, you know, going to be successful. It's not how do I, uh, you know, increase my um, profits, but my expenses go up just as much. Then you're actually not, you're, you're canceling out almost, right? So this is something, another way to look at it. It's like if I'm 17, it's like, yeah, I might get to have all this good stuff. But what about the day she cheats on you or leaves you for a taller, stronger guy who's more popular or, you know, you know, it's time to go to college and she wants to move on and explore other, other, uh, you know, aspects of herself and sexuality. And it's like, dude, there's no predictability with that. That's why yeah. marriage is essentially about safety, predictability mm -hmm. and security for the man and woman to ensure that the souls and hearts are preserved as much as possible because it still hurts when you get into fights while you're married but the point is is there ain't no i'm just taking my keys and i'm i'm driving off and i'm gonna ghost you and that's the end of the story right yeah i mean you yeah. you can f technically still do it but there's a marriage contract there's a civil contract there's a community bearing witness to this that puts a lot more social pressure on people to not take these things lightly so those are some of my thoughts about this So, so we also get the other side now um, for for those of us and and I say us as you know for our whole community who have gone through the ringer and now um, you're as you would say you're jaded right like you're kind of jaded to the process of um, uh, having a relationship and trying to um, eradicate the things that you've done in the past you know um, and people have asked us before and even we've had to deal with it. Uh, on personal levels of how do you now move forward without, as you said, using those frame of references from before? How do you, how do you put your mentality on a blank slate so that you go into this, this what is hopefully going to be your final relationship um, wholeheartedly that you aren't having comparisons to um, either porn or past relationships. And I know you have experience with this. So I guess this is more of a question for you for us and for our community? Well, look, two things. One is the simple rule of human beings is that the more exposure of a particular stimuli that I have is what will condition and shape me, right? So if you really want to get all that stuff out of your skull, then you have to also let it, um, you have to stop, uh, 
you know, depositing more of that. Stop stimulus. being the beast. Right. Yeah. Like you can't expect that you're going to somehow get over it if you're still watching porn all the time. It's not going to happen. Right. Mm. The second thing is, is another point which is important is that. Uh, so look, theoretically over time, like, and again, I've seen this happen with, I want to say, you know, many, many, many cases where when you do not, the frequency and intensity of exposing yourself to that type of stimuli, you know, it will naturally make you realign with your fitra. Because what happens is you repolish just by you not, like, dude, you will stay clean, not necessarily by Mm. taking five showers a day, but also if you just stay away from dirty, dirty places, right? Mm -hmm. That keeps you just as clean. Kind of like what we're doing now with the quarantine. Exactly. exactly. (laughs) The other thing is, is this idea of amnesia is sometimes what we ask Allah for, like somehow make me just completely forget. And it's like, I don't think that's actually part of the point because to forget it completely means you still open yourself up to the risk of doing it again. When Allah maintained, like for example, all the mistakes and failures I've had in my life, Whenever I remember them, I think I know that okay, this is Allah's. I'm sharpening the wisdom, you know, blades, uh, uh, you know, the, the the wisdom swords that I carry. Right? It's like every time I remember, I'm like, damn man, I wish I could have never did that. I wish I changed that. I wish I could, you know, go back in time. And I realized maybe with more age that the hikmah of that for me is it's Allah's rahma of you. You better remember this. You better feel a little burn from time to time because that's what makes me more motivated to stay upright. That's what makes me more motivated to go, you know, astaghfirullah, man, I'm not going back to that, man. It's just a sour taste in your mouth, right? But but that's part of the wisdom, right? But if you have complete amnesia, you open yourself up to, because look, a clean slate has it's a double-edged sword. You think, oh, I'm clean and oh, I can start everything fresh again. Yeah, you can. But you also can fall into the same mistakes because you have no permanent lessons uh, tattooed in you to make you remember. Dang it, man! That was that was that was just lousy. That was unwise. You know, I'm not doing that anymore, right? But that can't that can't happen if you wish for it. <laughs> what are your thoughts about that? Yeah, I I think you're spot on, and I think that's the advice that we've given to people, um, and that we constantly pound into our audience is that you know. We're, we're very open about what we've done. Uh, we, you know, we're not explicit, but we're very open about, you know, drinking and, and, and the, the party lifestyle that we came from um, and why we consciously made the decisions to leave that behind. However, although we did all of that stuff, by no means do we ever regret it because by doing it, it shaped who we are now and it's allowed us to learn from those lessons as to why Allah commanded that we don't do those things. You read the Quran a lot differently after mm-hmm. you've gone through that phase of uh, partying and, you mm-hmm. know, like, you know, the hardcore partying that, you know, we, we've uh, is, experienced, you read it a lot differently. So when you read um, about, uh, I can't remember the passage verbatim, but Allah talks about how gambling and uh, or games of chance and drinking are are games that are uh, I believe it says there's there's benefit to it but the bad outweighs the good essentially right and you learn you're like man like those were fun times but we could have got killed that night you know um, and then you even you know as we talked about with with sexual relationships you know girlfriends and and boyfriends and so on and so forth you're like man that was fun but 
I still feel broken. I was empty back then, man. That girl broke my heart. I, you know what I'm saying? You so you really learn from those experiences. But as you said, you're able to draw from a deck of cards and say, I know better now. And if I didn't know that, I couldn't help myself or other people. So I think it goes back to what you said. You can't mm-hmm. regret it. You have to learn from it and then just use that experience to make sure you go to the next one better, wiser, and, and all the better from it. I, I think you only regret it if you don't take away these lessons that you're discussing. Because then there's no value, right? There is no certainty without doubt. There is no understanding of nur without being in the dhulumat. And this is how Allah describes it. Like, look, when you guys don't follow my code, wallahi, you're just going to hurt yourself. You're, it's your mm-hmm. heart that's going to get broken. It's your brain that's going to be corrupted. It's your uh, skills that will be stunted, right? Allah doesn't need us, guys, right? He doesn't mm-hmm. need any of it. Mm-hmm. We need it, right? And so when we're when we want to, you know, trip on mushrooms every day or sleep with as many <laughs> girls as we want, and now we've got STDs for the rest of our life, you know, that's it's like it's like well, not a shocker, you know, not not to not to not to diminish people going through those things, but the point is that yeah. that's yeah. that's what I'm hearing you say is like that's why Allah tells us, look, when you guys sin, Absolutely. you're just gonna hurt yourself, you know. Exactly, exactly. But uh, subhanAllah, like, I'm so glad that, um, you know, I have the foundation I have. I, and I always, I always thank Allah for my parents because they gave me a solid foundation. And for me, my parents did have that talk with me. But I think the, I think the peer pressures of life and just plain curiosity led me to mm-hmm. certain things I've done because you want to know why, Right. Yeah, um, if, people, if people don't, yeah, the unknown. The unknown. What were you gonna say? I said the unknown is, is like you said, just they said curiosities will kill the cat. Like you just want to know, so you want to understand. Like why is it just so black and white? Like why is haram halal? You feel me? Like mm-hmm. everybody else is doing it, but if you understand why and then look at both angles, like Brother Cream was saying, oh, I know why people do, but it's not a smart thing for them to do. You feel me? If at the end. It's going to cause them more detriment than anything. So that's what I meant yeah. by the unknown. But you know what? The way we learn is typically by watching others. Yeah. Um, like you watch kids. Kids learn by watching their parents. So that's why, you know, if your parents grew up smoking cigarettes, more likely you're going to end up smoking cigarettes. However, mm-hmm. if you saw that smoking cigarettes led to something bad, you know, like I, one of my grandma, she passed away from emphysema um, that came from smoking. And that told me I would never touch a cigarette, like ever, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so that led me to not do it. However, if you never, if people just tell you don't smoke, but they never explain why or what it can lead to or the real in-depth conversations about it, you're more than likely going to be more curious and try it. So when we talk about sex, relationships, partying, like all of that, there's a reason why we're very explicit on the podcast about it because there's a lot of people that haven't done it or there's a lot of people that have done it, mm-hmm. um, but they're in the, or they're in the midst of it. So to be able to have a couple of regular Joe Schmoes who, you know, say, you know, we've done it more times harder than you guys probably ever could in your lifetime. And we're telling you why you need to stop or mm-hmm. why you shouldn't. It comes off different. Yeah. And, and I think the reason why, like, 
like, for example, I know when I was younger, my dad sometimes would be like, hey, talk to brother, you know, so-and-so, like a college guy when I was 12, 13, 15, right? And for some reason, you know, mentors in our community, we tend to take them more seriously than our parents because, you know, there's the, all that with the parents, right? But the point is that when you got somebody who's like really not here to judge you, like, look, I don't really care if you want to party your brains out this weekend. I'm just telling you, man, I'm in college and this is what I see or this is what I've done. And I'll, for some reason, the youth is more receptive to that because what's happening there is the person who's telling you to consider not doing something is actually sharing that sentimental or personal significant value that accompanies that for them. Right. And that's maybe why a mentor or, you know, an older bro or sister who talks to you about and they say the same message as your parents. It's it's it seems more receptive because the, the young person doesn't feel judged. They don't feel like they're, you know, being morally placed in a box and they're actually getting some meaning around why. But here's the thing I also learned, gentlemen, is that people fundamentally tend to transform because of two main forces, inspiration or desperation. And if you're not inspired, and desperation will eventually transform you. And that's what we call learning the hard way, right? But also, yeah. but now with learning the hard way, um, there's a lot more scientific facts now than there was when we were younger. At least we had accessibility to. So for example, now you have psychologists telling you that, hey, it's okay to smoke a little reef and some green if you're stressed out. You know what I mean? Like, here are the symptoms. Here are the things that can help you with. Hey, it's okay to masturbate if you're stress-free. It's actually healthy to masturbate. There are health benefits to it, and you will lose stress. You feel me? So when you hear stuff like that, and like you were saying earlier, people make it seem cool, then you have a mentor or a parent that you don't see cool or just kind of not spiritually aligned or meeting you where you're at, then... At that point, is it inspiration or is it desperation? You kind of see what I'm saying? I don't think it kind of goes under inspiration, desperation. It's more like, hey, I can relate to this person a lot more. For a but lot that of would be inspiration. Okay, okay. Right? Okay, like, okay. You, like you inspired me to maybe consider not going to the frat party this Friday. Because yeah. you like you you took me out for a coffee and you're like yo man you gotta you know you gotta really think about this man it's like in the end mm -hmm. dude you know what this stuff is if, if an mm -hmm. alien came to campus and they were like why is everybody acting like animals with these red cups in their hands you say oh this is called a party this is this this drink is called alcohol <laughs> what is alcohol and you're telling the alien from Mars like explain this to me oh well actually these are various natural healthy substances that we let sit for months or years to ferment and literally become poison then we drink it the alien would look at you and be like that is really irrational <laughs> why are you guys drinking this right that's fun <laughs> it's so funny when you put it like that it's hilarious mm -hmm. when you say it like that but but that's but that's the point yeah. right is as soon as you get as soon as you get out of your relative context and again being here you know we call alcohol spirits Dude, it doesn't change the fundamental substance. It's literally a point. Dude, can you die from drinking or not? Yeah. Yes. How is that yeah. not? You know, people don't think about this. Yeah. You can die Hospitalized. because it's poison. It's it's a poison. Yeah. But again, it goes back. It goes back to people having to see it. Like we've mm -hmm. seen people carried out on stretchers yes. um, on their Stomachs birthday, being like, pumped uh, out. Oh yeah. yeah. Yeah, and it's 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 a rude awakening. You know, car accidents, it, you know, yeah, just all kinds it, of stuff, dude. Yeah. Or, or, or like you said, the, the desperation portion of 
yo, I've lived through this. And I remember, um, you know, I, I really, I don't think I've shared this on a public platform as many of my friends, but I remember there was someone I used to hang out with on a regular basis. Good guy. He's uh, still a good friend. Um, but I remember one day we were coming from uh, a, a particular, we were like a club or something like that. And this was long, this was around the time where I made that decision where I was like, I'm done with this. And he, he's, I'm 26, he's like five or six years older than me. And I remember we're driving back, which was dumb because both of us had been drinking at the, that point in time. And I remember looking like, man, if I were to, if we were to die in a car accident right now, and my parents and my community were like, oh, well, he had alcohol in his system. Like, my parents would be devastated, you know, one. But then two, the other, the other thing that went through my head was, how much longer can you keep this up? How much longer it, are you going to do things that don't benefit you? And, um, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I grew up in a, in a community where we always work towards the pleasure of Allah. And you have to start asking your, yourself, and what I, is what I'm doing leading to the ultimate success, which for Muslims, the ultimate success is to get to Jannah, to see Allah, to be there. And, and you can you, experience Allah's Jannah here too, by the way. A hundred percent. So, and this is a realization I just had recently. I'm talking like two, three days is that Islam sets us up for success. And we often look at, you know, the richest people in the world and like, what are their success tips? But if you read the Quran and you read certain um, parts of it and you, you explicitly uh, put those um, regiments within your life, you will find success. It's not always about the monetary gain. Sometimes it's just about spiritually getting to a place. There's a reason why you don't see the richest people in the world out partying. And yeah, you don't see celebrities party um, and go out and get crazy because they've understood that there's a fundamental part of um, being successful that is also related to understanding God and your connection with God. Um, If you read the book, uh, Think and Grow Rich, there's a portion of that book that he doesn't disclose. He leaves it for you to find. And it's been years since I read the book, but I remember uh, at the end of it, you get an inkling that the the missing link is God, to serve God and to do things that are, are pleasing to Allah. And those are the things that will lead you to your ultimate success. Like, what are you ultimately trying to do in your life that will pleasure Allah? And so once I sat in the car and I realized that it was really just like, it was eye-opening. That was my desperation point of, one, I don't want to be here when I'm 30. <laughs> well, 25. You don't want to you don't want to be the old weird dude at the club, dude. You don't. Yeah, oh my god. And the, and that that friend was that. That friend was that. And I looked at it and I was like, I this is the path I'm going down. And so around that time I was just like, I'm done with this. And you know, alhamdulillah, like here I am. Yeah. I mean, that point is really good. The one about, you know, there's many celebrities or successful people who, you know, you you notice and as they get older, they become a lot more spiritual. Right, they become they a lot more mm-hmm. humanistic, mm-hmm. and you know, look for everyone listening. I've done this mental exercise so many times. I'm like, all right, Kareem, just visualize you got a billion dollars in your account. What are you gonna do? And my <laughs> nefs runs wild, right? Just yeah. all right. I, I own a cruise boat. I've got a hundred models from every <laughs> walk of life chilling with me. I've got you know music. Hey. I've got this. You you know, but dude, after a few months or weeks, how many women can you be with? Right. How many how many more delicious meals can you eat? 
How many cars can you own? How many this you know pieces of jewelry can you buy or what? And at some point, you're just going to get bored. It's still going to be empty Re- too. Really? Because it's like the sensory experience of the body. Yes, it's pleasurable. Yes, it's powerful. But there's, and in my opinion, you know, clearly and, and you know, the many people of faith, we're not just these biological machines, right? Mm-hmm. And so that means that there's another dimension of us that needs nutrients and, and, and currency just as much. And yeah. if that's if that's bankrupt in you, it doesn't matter how much money you have in another account. If this account is in the negative, you know, mm. it's gonna at best you'll be at zero. But right? then but then but then at the same time, I think right now we're talking about the individuals that have been almost in a way privileged. Uh what I mean by that is that, you know, I'm I'm twenty seven years old, okay? So before this whole social media thing came up I had my own life that nobody knew about, you know, and I did what I wanted to do. The good old so, days, bro. The good, good old days, days right? I mean, now it's still good, but it's, right. I, I understood what longevity was. Because at that point, when I was younger, I didn't get what I wanted right away. Now kids, you know, some some youth, Muslim youth, get everything that they want at the snap of the fingers. So the reason why I say that is that they don't understand the longevity. Hey, wait, it's worth it because their whole life they've been getting stuff right away. So when it comes to those urges or those instincts, do not think about anything at that time, to, but to fulfill that instinct as fast as you can. So Jabril talked about like the whole club thing and how he stopped. But then after he stopped, it wasn't long until I stopped. You see what I'm saying? Because he's an influence of mine and we work together. But everybody around us didn't. And That's their choice. Some, some people that we still know are still going. So... You think about those things that we've had multiple conversations with them like hey this was done for us spiritually and stuff like that but what do you what do you it's the question what do you have for those people that like legit just don't care you, you yeah, see what he, i'm saying the, yeah and and here's the thing is uh, you know i'm a counselor and a consultant and you know i've been i and what i've learned brothers and maybe i'm wrong is that yeah. look that's why you know, there's no compulsion in religion. The truth is clear from falsehood. And we as Muslims have to tolerate the fact that everyone has the right to choose to do whatever the hell they want. And that they are actually the ones that have to eat those consequences. That's on them. And that's the point is there's a difference between, look, I'm not going to give up on you. I'm going to keep giving you nasiha. I'm going to keep reminding yeah. you every weekend, right? Because yeah. you're my brother. I love you, yeah. man. And, you know, but, and it, and I'm disappointed that you're still like, yeah, man, all right, but I'm going, you know, Jenny's going to be there. And, you know, it's just <laughs> how it's going to be. It's like, all right, khair, man, you know, fine. Yeah. And yeah. in the end, that's, that's what they're going to do, right? So you got to keep advising people. You have to keep reminding them of the values. You have to keep, um, you know, maybe repackaging it or inviting them to um, other types of engagements which uh, have some of those haram items absent so they can perhaps even start to reassociate with good times doesn't mean I got to be smashed, mm-hmm. right? Or, or fried out mm-hmm. of my brain. Mm-hmm. I can actually have a good time without you know, uh, these things, believe it or not. So you got to keep going, but you got to also accept guys that not everybody is going to care. Not everybody's going to be saved. Not everybody's going to make the right decisions. And just because a person's lost right now doesn't mean they're lost forever. Right. And that's why you don't give up on people and you never assume 
that oh that guy's just he's going to hell khalas it's like no 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 that's never <laughs> never <laughs> should ever come out of your mouth should never come out of but your you mouth but you know ever th- that's that goes back to what muhammad said about it came from the it came from the example that i had set first uh and that came from the example that i got from malcolm x and other people that i saw it, it, it really it really is about a buddy system. We harp about a buddy system all the time. You know, birds of a feather flock together. You can take any, you know, quote that you've ever heard about, you know, you're judged by the company that you keep. Absolutely. When, when people around you are being successful in a certain way and that attracts you, then you're going to gravitate towards that, right? Um, we have friends, though, whose culture, their family culture is – Let's take drinking, for example. Like We, we have uh, Hispanic friends. We have uh, Caribbean friends where their culture is about drinking. So mm-hmm. it's very difficult for them to break from that. So yeah. do I judge them and say, oh, you're going to the hellfire? No. Like That's their thing. That's what they do. And I, I accept that. You know? I, and, and again, it's very, I understand it from both sides because it's very easy for someone that's never engaged with it or been around it to judge someone and say, that's wrong and you're a bad person for it. Mm-hmm. Because on my end, I used to do that. So I'm looking at it and I'm like, well, they're not bad people. And this for them might not make them bad, but I know why it's not good for me. And so individually, you have to look at what certain things do for you. Um, and, and, you know, we, we harp a lot about the young, the young Muslim culture. And I think mm-hmm. when you talk about young Muslims and the culture that we live in today, it's really one of having acceptance of everybody's individual individuality and their own responsibility to make decisions for themselves, you know, mm-hmm. um, because yeah. it, this, this world is too big. We're too different for us to try and put all three of us on this podcast in the same boat and say, you know, you shouldn't listen to this or watch this, but for you, it might put you, let's take music. For example, a song for you might put you in a great state. It might open you up to wanting to go on a hike and be in a lost creation where for me, it might make me want to go rob somebody, <laughs> you know, um, depends on what you're listening to. Uh, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, so, so, you know, we talk about the young Muslim culture of letting people do them. You know, uh, it says, it says in the Quran, say to them, you can do you and I will do me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> All right. You do you, I'm gonna do me. And I'm not going to judge you for what you do, but I'm not going to indulge in the things that you do because that is not for me. And I don't, I, when I read that, when I internalize that and I study it, it doesn't mean that what the other person doing is necessarily haram. Sometimes it just means that like, I don't want to do that because I know that I'm weak or I'm not meant to be in that setting or to do that thing. So we as Muslims, as people in general, we have to just be able to accept that although we might not agree or although we might not understand certain things, that doesn't mean that we have to demonize the people that do indulge in those things. Yeah, of course, because I mean, look. The Prophet had alcoholics at his time. You had people who committed zina. You had people who had, you know, all the same sins, right? And remember, the Prophet's society was embedded in drinking too. 
Yeah. yeah. Right? There's, it's not that different from Las Vegas today, right? It's like mm-hmm. the same. They, they loved gambling. They loved drinking. They loved this. They loved getting into crazy gang fights for no reason and killing people over it. This is what we still see, right? So the bottom line is, is that you have to remember, guys, existentially, the Quranic worldview tells us very clearly, you're always going to have evil. You're always going to have disbelievers. You're always going to have darkness. You're always, you can't, the world's never going to be a perfect place. You're never going to have everyone in your Muslim community, mashallah, right? This is never going to happen. So, and because there's hikmah in the variation of states that all of us have as individuals and what that makes up as a community. Because without that tension, there's no creativity, there's no da'wah, there's no islah, there's no learning those lessons that we've been talking about, right? <laughs> if everything is just this, and that's what sometimes I think the collective culture of the immigrants have tried to do is let's control everything to make sure that we replicate everyone yep. to be the same and think the same and look and dress the same. But that actually had a extreme reaction because when the individuality gets completely drowned out by the family expectations or some religious personalized, you know, you're not, you're making Islam angry right now, right? Mm. It's like there's no person called Islam out there. <laughs> Islam is simply, when we say we want to do things for the sake of Islam or it's because we want to do what is more aligned with the divine reality and what is good for my relationship with God. So the way I like to see it is when I sin, it's like I'm cheating on my relationship with Allah mm-hmm. it's mm-hmm. like I'm, I'm cheating I'm having an affair I'm giving that love and devotion and service to other than Allah whether it's money alcohol my my sexuality right that's all I'm doing there it's becoming a taghut mm-hmm. right as Allah says before that in Surah Al-Baqarah he says there are people who take objects uh, equally in their love and devotion to as they do Allah. Which means, dude, I could love my car like more than anything. But I also love Allah just as much. Like that's Mm. possible, right? But Allah says, and those وَالَّذِينَ amanu, Like really, those real mu'mineen أَشَدُّ حُبُّ شِدَّةٌ It's like it pulls you beyond it, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. So do you now lose your placement with God because your your friend scratched your car and now you beat him down or you start cussing him out and you've always been a piece of, you know, and now you're committing sins with your relationship with Allah because of your car? That's a, a moment where you love your car more than Allah. Yeah, that's right? idol worship. Yep. You see what I'm saying? So the, today the idolatry is has a lot to do with our psychological attachments. Mm-hmm. Not you know we're not really worried about our my sister or your brother worshiping a statue of Buddha anytime exactly. soon, most yeah, likely, point. right? Yep. But it's but it's the worship of what we psychologically construct as powerful or more valuable than the divine reality itself, right? And that that's a you know it's it's all very long deep discussions, but. That's my uh, thought on that. Well, well, going back to culture, because I think we transition into that. Um, so for young Muslims right now, the reality is that um, say they, they stop those things that we talked about earlier, correct? And they find a new way of living. Sometimes the hard part is the reinforcement in regards to what do I do with all this time that I got back? So, for example, what do uh, I do with myself, man? What do I do with myself? So, for example, every weekend I found myself out on U Street in DC, in Arlington, right? Every weekend. And then a few years back, I stopped that, right? I stopped that. So now it would be time my parents, like, oh, you're not going out? Like, you're not doing anything? 
And then I was like, okay, then I tried like going to events, uh, you know, trying to be in the measured more, you know, doing all that stuff, which was good. But I still needed that outlet with friends and to have fun. So people are like, hey, Muhammad, let's do that. I'm like, no, I don't do that then no more. The always alternative to clubbing and going out and partying is hookah. <laughs> it's the hookah bar. You feel me? Hey, it's more relaxed. You can bring a book. You ain't got to It's a smoke. good bridge. It's a good bridge. You can chill. But even that, like, we need we need stuff outside of that. Like, sometimes uh, Jabril and I, you know, unluckily, unluckily, we got the podcast. We always have something to do, right? We got business. We're always working. But then we get time. Like, yo, let's go out there and chill. And we just don't know what to, what to do with ourselves. Like, yeah. really, even now. Well, we gentlemen, when we do. get when we become the new Babas, and I mean, I already am a Baba. <laughs> Father. When we, you know, but look, think about it. You know, God bless our parents and our grandparents, the ones who came here. You know, they did the first kind of important part, which is they established masajid and schools. Alhamdulillah. Right, which yeah. is great. Alhamdulillah, right? But yeah. we, I think it's on us to establish social services, yep. you know, entertainment uh, spaces, so that you're right. We need we need to have a place in every major city where it's like, dude, that's the Muslim lounge. Yeah. Know, cafe, fresh yeah. coffee and tea on the tap and smoothies, and you got yeah. some good music and live poetry, mm-hmm. and I'll bring my guitar and we're going to play, and we're going to meet brothers and sisters, and we got a musalla, and there's prayer, you know? This is, you know, this would be where we we could. You go. have to make it a, a cultural. It's a cultural shift. shift. It's a cultural because shift because right now, you know, same thing we were talking about with relationships and uh, guys and girls hanging out in the same place. It it's almost like gatherings that don't that gatherings that aren't Juma or Halakas are haram. Or they're looked <laughs> down upon. It's like goodness gracious, like. It's, yep. it's ridiculous. That's what I remember right? the time. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we have to make that something that's cool. Because right now, the problem that we have within the young Muslim culture is that we don't know what's cool and what isn't. And we have where it's like the older we get, the more haram police we become. nothing dude it's all or nothing it's either you get you get to have a blast you know or you're you have to be this quiet disciplined religious person at the local message it's like no 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 we we need something in between and you know look again the experience i was talking about i'm not saying necessarily we need brothers and sisters dancing (laughs) sober club necessarily but you know you know but you know, like when I was in college, I remember uh, I was taught by, you know, some of the people I was hanging out with, you know, had a little um, uh, selfie phase. And I was taught like, dude, talking to girls is completely haram. 
And I remember going to, you know, a bunch of MSA things and I was talking to an imam that I really respect. I'm like, brother, why are we all here? I thought it was haram for us to interact and sit next to each other. And, you know, this isn't what my parents taught me. This is just, you know, the, the conditioning that happened in that last year when I was kicking it with these guys. And he said, uh, you know, he was like, what are you, why nobody, there's no proof that says it's haram to talk to sisters, brother. Why, why do you think that? And I was just like, why the hell are they telling me this? You know? And the, look, this is a simple rule I give to people. If it's haram to completely interact with females, then why does Allah tell us in the Quran when you, how to interact with females? Because you're going to interact with females. You know, lower your gaze doesn't mean you're like this the whole time. What it, what it means is you are looking, your gaze is more down than it is upwards. That's how the Prophet ﷺ would talk to even men, right? Because he was so modest, right? And because you couldn't look directly into his face because his nur was just overwhelming, right? But that was the, that was what it means. It means basically I'm talking with respect, you know, like, yeah, sister, what's going on? And, you know, it's good to meet you. And I never, I haven't seen you here before. And you're looking and you're, you know, you're not like now looking, checking her out and hey, you know, giving your buddy the elbow. Dude, look at that right there. <laughs> That's what we're, we're supposed to avoid, right? It's so you can have, yeah. the problem is, is we have completely stigmatized. We've, we've reduced, and this is from the shaitan, by the way, is he's tried to convince, use the religious cues to make us feel like we're just disgusting dogs. We've got to be completely separate and you can't look or talk to anybody. And if I see you talking to a woman, you know, I'm going to, that woman is now a this and that. And it's like, what, what, would people relax, please? The prophet used to sit with women and talk to them, right? The Umar dealt with women and talked to them. Abu Bakr Siddiq would visit the widows when their husbands weren't home, knock on their door, wow. say, you need anything, sister? I brought you a blanket. The winter is coming. Does your son need anything? She said, yes, he needs to go get this from the market. Can you accompany him so he doesn't get, you know, bamboozled? And he's like, I'll take it. And he would go and he would, you know, did Abu Bakr go in her house and hang out with the door closed alone? No. Did he visit women that were home alone and ask how they're doing? Yes. You know, people have to get back to common sense, right? Uh, I'll give, I, I was, I was, I was, I'll tell you another true story. Once I was like at Target or something. Dude, I, as I was going to the store, this woman, maybe in her 40s or 50s, tripped on the curb and was literally about to smash her head, right? I went and grabbed her and caught her. Some people be like, brother, haram to touch a woman. I'm like, dude, are you are you serious? So I let her die. But there's people like this. This is how they think. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's it's way too much fixation on the letter of the law, and they forget the spirit of the law. And remember, ladies and gentlemen, mm. at least from my understanding, I could be wrong. I love that. The reason why that. Islamic law exists is simply to preserve the spirit of what it means to be the ultimate human being and, and according to Allah's teachings. So if you're missing out, if you've sucked the life force of being human and spirit and having heart while you're following your sharia, it means you are missing, it's not a holistic uh, understanding or application yet, in my opinion. I love that. Love you're, that. You're, more, you're more religious than spiritual. You're more um, about the tradition and just the, the rituals than that's why as you said the the spirit no, but i want i want i i feel we need to take the word religious back because it has a negative connotation now it's wrong to say that really? else you're more religious no yeah. religion is simply organized spirituality mm. well no i i guess that's why i said the you second know? word which was um uh 
you're more into the rituals. So yeah, you're right. Religion is rich is, rituals is yeah, maybe. Yeah. But I think I think it's more about the appearance of 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 fulfilling the Islamic brand as it's been delivered to you. Yes. Uh, because okay. because the problem is is when we say, "Oh, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual." Then that's a problem because you I see it as religion and spirit and spirituality are two sides to the same coin. Whether it's you're looking at heads or tails, it's still the same value. Yes. If you, if your perception is off and you say no, the heads is worth 25 uh, but the tails is worth a penny, that's just because your perception's off. Mm-hmm. That doesn't change the value of the quarter, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So religion is not a bad thing in and of itself. In fact, religion or you know, deen in Arabic, which is often translated as religion, do you guys? It's connected to the word for deen, which means it's the debt. Basically, it's the debt we're repaying God for giving us this priceless life of gift and giving us these very powers that he ultimately possesses, like sight, hearing, speaking, knowledge, being able to make or create things. Those are gifts that Allah gave us, mm-hmm. right? So our deen that we pay Allah back is by, look, use your gift of life to represent Allah truly. That's khalifa, right? Mm-hmm. Not to wave your fist at God or to worship your own nafs, right? So I feel like when, you know, and I'm, I'm not saying you do this, right, yeah. Muhammad or Jibreel, but I'm saying it, it, it bugs me when I hear many Muslims say, I'm not religious, I'm spiritual. It's like, well, then you don't understand what either means, in my opinion. Because mm. <laughs> you, you can't be spiritual without some type of organized structure or system. Agreed. Because every, every historical prophet or preacher, the reason why religion became schematized afterwards is so that how can I replicate or have a toolkit to... Uh, generate the same states of transformation and consciousness. It's through the system and structures of religion, mm-hmm. right? It's not by doing whatever you want yeah. and picking and choosing what you want. Because yeah, right. if you because if you do that at, at your undergrad, you, if you do that for your college degree, you ain't getting a degree. If you do that when you go to a job and you get hired, oh, here are your twenty uh, job uh, descriptions. Oh, I'm all, I'm gonna pick and choose about five or eight of them. You ain't gonna have a job either. It doesn't work that way. No, it's it's funny. It's funny because I was also like, it's also like a scapegoat. Because one thing uh, as being a Muslim is that Christian, Jews, atheists, they will test you. Like for example, if you're doing something, hey, aren't you Muslim? Aren't you supposed to be doing that? Yeah, but I'm not that religious. You know what I'm saying? So he's <laughs> like, yeah. I'm not that religious, and that kind of okay, that understands. But they're also confused. But I like what you said, just that holistic approach. And I think that's something that we're starting to come back to now because people are writing books about spirituality that aren't even Muslim. But whether it's a pastor or somebody that's a preacher or somebody like a like a, um, a Buddhist, whatever, those individuals took those teachings from the Quran, you know? So I think, or like you said, Brother Kareem, we do have to bring that word back and have it all encompassing and actually explain to people, hey, spirituality is including religion. Here's what it all is. Because a lot of people are right now like, distancing themselves from religion because of the back stigma that it has and saying, hey, I'm just spiritual, you know, and I'm Muslim, so... Right, and I think, if I may just add one more thing, from my my experience, you know, if we think about spirituality more as the personal transcending or transformative experience, right, which is what most people are looking for, the reason why I think what you're describing is quite common today is because many of us have grew up in an experience where religion was overly institutionalized, politicized, and, and culturalized. And the collective pressure of many of Eastern cultures is about, you need to be like 
this collective. And that means that your individuality gets drowned out. So you're going to have a natural kind of reaction to that, which is I want to go totally into my own personal spirituality. But the problem is, is that, or, or, or the solution is actually still in the same place. It's about not making it just about the collective or the institutional replication of the mechanisms, because you can't transfer the states of Muhammad or Buddha or Musa or any of these individuals just by memorizing the manual. It's like memorizing the, the manual of your car, but you never never drive the thing. You never chose, you never learned how to actually drive. I just know everything about Honda. MashaAllah. But, but you got no experience, so you don't get a real personal taste of that. Right? A, I like that. That's, That's it's so to similar to that. So what happens is we're, a lot of us are taught, study the blueprint of what it means to be a good Muslim. And we got, you know, pressure and directives to hear, follow the prescription just right. But we lost along the way our descriptive meaning of that. In other words, how the three of us are trying to talk about what Islam means to me and you, what it means to Allah, and that it doesn't have to be exclusive of each other. Or that exactly. if I know you had sins, or I got sins, or I see something differently than you do, but we're still trying to find the truth together, that doesn't separate us necessarily, right? And this is where you get also cliques and sects in Islam too. People are like, oh, are you this? Are you that? Are you School this? Taught, you know, are you yeah. in? Are you out? Who's your teacher? It's like, yeah. you know, uh, none, nobody owns Islam, guys. Right? <laughs> no, you don't own the religion. You don't own the who's in and who's out. It's not your club. You don't decide the membership, right? You, yeah. you know, so, so the way I see it is if spirituality is more of the personal, um, transformation, transcendence, the discipline of the nafs, the virtue cultivation, the akhlaq and adab, that's not separate from religion at all. But religion is more of a institutional or collective process to preserve, replicate, and teach those wisdoms, right? But sometimes we, we lose that along the way and we just focus on replicating how it appears rather than how it's actually rooted in each soul and heart and intellect of the person, right? Which, you know, that's, again, just take the seerah as the best example. The five daily prayers wasn't introduced until 11, 12 years in. You could still drink after that, bro. You could still be like, yo, man, don't give me two glasses of wine because we yeah. still got Isha in an hour. So yeah, I want to be, a, you know, a little clear yeah. for that, right? Yeah. Look at the gradualism. Right, the first ten years focused on theology, philosophy, socials change, virtue, and then salah came to anchor the iman that was already there. We do the opposite: pray, memorize, do this, don't do that, do that, and then you're somehow supposed to find enlightenment. No, it's not going to work. And that's why I think, and that's why I think our podcast fits well. It's in a new space because we start. From that angle, we talk about our life experiences and stuff like that, and then tell people, "Hey, you know, we may not be the well, the most versed when it comes to the Quran, but we live it out very well. We have good character, we have great hearts, we take care of our families, we treat women right." And then from there, like, oh, people, are like, oh wow, okay, these people are like us. And then we start throwing in Islamic teachings because we're learning too. A lot of people right now, and unfortunately. The people that are being called out to come and speak and, you know, be like the face of uh, the, the Ummah right now, they always start off with the practical and the religious thing like Jabril had mentioned. So when, when, when they start doing that, there's a good segment of young Muslims that don't even catch on. They don't even listen to that stuff. You see what I'm saying? They just tune out, you think? Absolutely. Right off yeah. the bat. Tune out. And the problem is that we, we find, we're finding that we have, mashallah, there's a lot of young scholars that are coming up, but they're going down that same route. 
You feel me? The same exact route. So we see a lot of people that kind of live like us, but are going down the Mufti Mink route. I'm not sure because that's what sells. I don't know. You see what I'm saying? But we're like, yo. But by the way, in my opinion, you can't be young and a scholar. That's <laughs> Scholarship means you're you've mastered something after many years. So you know, uh, brothers you, and sisters, you, you know, it. spending spending a summer in Egypt doesn't make you a scholar. I'm sorry. Yeah, but. wow. And yeah, yeah. to both of you guys' points, yeah. you have to you have to come at people at a level that they're at. You yeah. can't come in at this holy high riser because. Most of us aren't there. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting to me. A lot of people reference uh, to one of the things that the prophet said that he told the Sahaba, there will be a people even greater than you that will come that will be greater, greater than you. And they're like, well, how? How is that possible when we're with you? We're Rasulullah. We're with you. The greatest. Because those people are not going to have the benefit of being with me. And I, I think a lot of times we don't give ourselves enough credit. The fact that we're able to go through all of this crap oh, on whoa. a daily basis, and yet we're still on a podcast right now talking about Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala, and how we can get closer mm-hmm. to him. Like, that's, like, it blows my mind because we're, we're going against all odds. And the fact that we're contributing to this growing religion and, and this wanting, this yearning for Allah's love and the understanding of God and how it connects in this world— the fact that we're talking about this and this is something that we've added to our lives on a, a, a daily basis is what's the word uh, that we used earlier today? It's a, it's almost an anomaly. It's almost an anomaly, right? Because against all odds, we we shouldn't be here talking about these things because the world isn't designed for that. But Allah designed us to be able to fight against that. So I think we have to give ourselves more credit for the fact that we are on the right path, or at least we're in the woods looking at the street like, uh, I think that's the right path that we're trying to go towards it, you know? Uh, and, and, you know, a lot of times young people feel lost, but they're really not lost. They're just down on themselves because they feel like they aren't doing everything. Yeah, they aren't good enough, but reality is, like, dude, you're you're on it. Like, I want, I wish that I had X, Y, and Z that you have. Keep doing what you're doing. Um, and, and I think we remind ourselves more and more that, you know, the Sahaba were drinking and they still were dealing with fornication while they were with the prophet. And he was saying, like, don't do this. Like, the fact that we, like, you can be doing the same thing, but you're still, like, if you contextualize it like that, you're still almost in a better place than they were so there's always a chance for you to be even better. Imagine you you got smashed Friday, you know, Thursday night, and then you go to the Juma and the Rasulullah is the Khatib, man. Imagine. Right? <laughs> I mean, talk about guilt, right? You guys don't know what guilt is. No, that, you know, <laughs> you're still hungover at the Oh, that'd be like, crazy. Oh Rasulullah, you know. But you know the you know look. I think that you know just to um, make sure, I'm not against. You know, I don't want people to ever assume that I'm against um, valid Islamic scholarship or tradition. You know, I have teachers. I consult with teachers. I don't. I go to those who know when I don't know. Uh, you know, and but the point is, like you guys were saying, is if you if I just went into right now, you know, um, the proof of Allah in in astrophysics, like 
It's very interesting, and it's probably still very valid, mm. but it's irrelevant to the discussion we're having right now, right? It's not, it's not, a, it's not a wise way to, to go into it and be like, well, brothers, now I want to get into all this. It's like, oh, that's cool, bro, but what does that have to do with everything we're talking about? So going back to what you're saying is sometimes people have good intentions, but they like, you know, like you said, they follow uh, some, you know, Islamic speaker brand that may not necessarily apply to the people who, you know, they didn't grow up in a family where there was no drinking, no smoking, they never talked to girls, and mashallah, you know, some people, they're preserved in this way, and there's other things they're really lacking as a result of that too, right? Because there's pros and cons to everything, living a spicy life, living a clean life, let's go, I like that right? spicy life. <laughs> You're, there's pros and cons, you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, there's pros and cons. So, but the point here is that we need to all work together because like Abdu'l-Qadr al-Jinani, who is a famous uh, scholar in our history, he's, you know, he said, bring me the sinners and the poor and, you know, the desolate and the ones who are, you know, addicted to drugs. I, those are the, those are my people. Those are the ones I want to sit with. And he was a wali of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, mm-hmm. right? You know, and it's like, you know, you don't see him go, no, I'm only going to sit with the sultans and the president and the big imams and the, you know, all the celebrities. I know I want to be with the people that have no face in the general, you know, outlook of the community. Right. And this is prophetic. And it's hard to do. Right. To sit with the poor. All the followers were always the poor and the desolate first weren't they because they don't have all these things that to lose they see the truth it's like dude that's the truth yes. right no. they don't they don't sit here and worry now about their money no, and their prestige and their this right it's a, it's so there's something to this and so i think it's important to remember that the the brothers and sisters that are confused have doubts are in the thick of bad habits or sins right now you know they are just as um, important as the people who, let's say, are good good Muslim boys and girls who go to the masjid and who listen to mama and baba and, you know, alhamdulillah, rabbina iftah alina. But yeah. That doesn't make you any better, necessarily. You let Allah decide all that when we're on the other side. Yes. Right? For now, for now, we have to see everybody as, you know, we're all social capital for each other. We're resources. We're in this together, you know. And the moment we um, uh, assume otherwise, we go into the separatist you know, egoic uh, stance on things, which can have a lot of negative effects. Yes, I mean, I think going back, just bring everything together, we have to make it okay to talk about Islam like in any fashion, whether it's at the basketball court, you know, or if it's um, chilling with your friends, because a lot of times when we talk about Islam, it has to be in a nice, dim room, we got sage going, you feel me? Like, <laughs> like that's usually how the type of uh, environment people expect. And it's hard because we want to have conversation about Islam and what it means to be Muslim. But as soon as somebody says something, they get hit upside the head. Like, yo, bro, what you're talking about, like, make sure you're not leading people down the wrong path. It's like, yo, bro, I'm just, I'm just telling you my, about my life experience. Like, for example, we talk about Elijah Muhammad, right? Uh, what he did here in the U.S., like you mentioned, he, he took all those individuals that were dead, broke, and gone, the 1% that nobody else wanted, and he picked them up and turned them around and turned them to decent human beings. How could you How could you hate somebody like that? You know what I'm saying? How could you kind of say, like, hey, don't listen to anything that like that guy says? Well, I wouldn't say that. Like, he did some great things. I'm going to look at his character. But we have to make it okay to 
talk about Islam and that anybody can talk about being Muslim, not just because we, we only look for three or four different individuals. That's Numan Ali Khan, Mufti Mink, Omar Suleiman, and that, that's it. You feel me? If anybody else talk about Muslims, it's like, yo, bro, who did you learn from? Why did you do this? Nah, you shouldn't be talking about that. Go back to talk about like makeup or some other stuff. You feel me? But don't, don't, don't talk about Islam. So we, we try to have those conversations, you know, but, but they get shot down really, really quickly. And it's very uh, discouraging. So yes. well, I, I, w- I would say that's more, more so when you look at the people who are a little bit older. I think younger mm-hmm. people now, because they're still malleable and they're, they're, they're trying to figure it all out. Mm-hmm. They want to listen to podcasts like this. They want to listen mm-hmm. to people like us have these discussions because they are going through it. And those, a lot of those scholars aren't talking about those things. So I wouldn't say that those are the only people that are allowed to say anything. I think that there's a, there's a, there's a cap to that. There, there's mm-hmm. people that are saying like, oh, you don't have those credentials. Well, you don't count. But then there's, I think, I think the majority is starting to flip now. I think mm-hmm. because we've now been in this industry the last couple of years, you know, thank Allah, uh-huh. we're starting to see that what we're doing right now, these conversations are becoming more and more necessary. And you mean being being real human beings yes. trying, mm-hmm. who, are, who are trying to live mm-hmm. the path of Islam? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Like, <laughs> at the end of the day, none of us have this figured out, right? Like, right. none of us have right. any concrete answers. We are trying. I realize that about my parents, right? Just one random day, and I was like, "Man, my dad is just a guy, and my mom is just a lady." And <laughs> they're just human beings too, <laughs> who are to who are gonna, out. yeah, who are gonna keep learning, just like you and me. Exactly. You know? They just may have some other courses complete before us. That's mm-hmm. it, you know. Mm-hmm. But but universe the life the university of life never stops. Right. I learn you learn that you never stop learning, and Allah is the ultimate professor. And the GPA goes back with him, ultimately, right? <laughs> so, you know, and it's, look, I think on the one hand, definitely, because today you have people who think they're scholars, and I'm not talking about the three you mentioned. Absolutely, like, absolutely. Like, you know, but, but you have other people, forget about scholars, but they are, they are a face of Islam, right? Whether it's for whatever reasons, and, and they may not have the credentials, at all, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So that's that's a, that's an, an important thing. Mm. Uh, and then there's the people who do have the credentials, uh, and then there's the people who, let's say, you know, they do have the credentials. For, when I think about, let's say, very well learned imams or scholars, you know, there are the ones that, let's say, have this humanistic. I want to say human science, mm-hmm. right, is part of their understanding of things. And then they're the ones that don't have that. Yeah. And the ones that don't have that, to me, they're just as dangerous as the people who have no Islamic credentials, but let's say they know how to connect with people and tell them what they want to hear, mm. right? And, and the truth is always in the middle, you know? Ideally, you want someone who understands, like, for example, you know, I think that's why, you know, I see my my um, work as kind of that I'm in between the local imam and then like the Western, you know, psychologist, mm, right? Mm-hmm. It's like I'm, I'm not, I'm like not qualified as an Islamic scholar, mm-hmm. but, you know, I can have a discussion about most things, right, when it comes to those things. Uh, and I'm and I'm not, uh, you know, looking at the human being from a Western secular scope either. But the thing is, is that with a lot of... Um, people's experiences perhaps with their local religious or imam communities it's lack that humanistic heartfelt or that spirit of the religion 
you know. And the difference is, let's say, God forbid, something happens to a young Muslim lady on campus, and then you, you know, one of those imams with the Islamic credentials might say something, it's possible, right? He might say something like, well, you know, that's on you because you shouldn't have never been at the party. Yeah, something haram, like that. And yeah. you should be wearing hijab and you shouldn't be dressed like this. And that's like, you know, from his or her idea of like, you didn't follow the Islamic credentials properly, but you're missing a humanistic, humanistic heartfelt approach. approach completely. And, and because this again goes all back to the, in my opinion, one of the biggest problems with the collective ego or the collective mind, if you will, of the Muslim community today is the all or nothing mentality. You got to be all Muslim, perfect Muslim, or you're, you're not. And it's like, no, people, we have to recognize it's a ebb and flow and a learning curve and you're going to have ups and downs and dips and sometimes you flatline sideways and sometimes you dip hard and sometimes you go up hard and then, but that's how it works. Nothing is just a straight angle, up or down, right? To Jannah or to hell. You know? <laughs> it's like, it's fascinating that this is how we sometimes treat some of these things. But I wanted to check in with you guys also about uh, time, because I know, you know, we've, we've had a good conversation. And I hope we'll have more of these just to pop in, have a coffee and just, you know, let's just, let's just, uh, you know, vent together. <laughs> yeah. No, it's, oh it's, it's so, so easy, man. I love, I love what you're, what you have going, man. And, and, and just you in general, man, it's just, you know, it's a shame that it took us this long, but it all happened. It happened at the perfect time. Uh, when we literally have nowhere to go, nothing to do. <laughs> so, yeah, man, I love these conversations, and I think they're so needed, so necessary, because just listen to what you're bringing um, to this platform and to this community, to this culture, is is so relevant. Just to get the type of guests that you bring on as well um, are, are very different, and they bring something very uh, unique. Whereas, you know, like, this conversation is completely different than the conversation you just had with the doctor, yeah? Mm -hmm. So is is very is very needed and people need to be able to listen to platforms like these and feel like i get that or i just learned something completely new mm -hmm. or this has helped me get closer to myself or my connection with the law and and, and you know i don't want to as you said i don't want to bash any scholars or anything like that but i feel as though there's a place there's a time for scholar scholarly learning yeah. There's also a place for empathetic learning. And I, and I think that's where we all kind of fall is we get it. We've been there. We've done that. Here's what we've learned from it. And this is what you should do and not do so that you can like accelerate weight. We're like the third parent to, to a lot of people. <laughs> third spaces and third parents, you know? Yeah, third, third spaces third. and third parents. I like, oh, oh we got to coin that. <laughs> you know? No, but you're right. Cause like, look, if I'm already out of the, the, I'm, I'm, I'm out of the clear, right. Of all the spicy, dark habits and attachments, you know, listening to Imam Suhaib Web, no man Ali Khan, these guys are going to benefit me a lot. Cause I'm ready to, exactly. I'm ready to take ready that, that flight. You know what I mean? I'm yeah, ready to go yeah. to that destination. I'm just like, I'm ready. I need that structure. I need someone with the qualifications, someone who's had that experience, right? And so on, you know? But that doesn't mean it's going to deliver the same value in the same way to each mind and heart out there based on where they're at. And that's why you do, I think like you guys are, I think you're emphasizing here, you know, one of the gifts that you've brought to the community, and may Allah increase and preserve both Amen. of you. I mean, is that, you know, what about the, um, you know, those who are, they're still just in that in-between 
place, right? It's like, I don't know, man, you know, I'm kind of into it. I'm kind of not, I still don't understand. I'm still feeling this. I'm still not feeling that, you know, though, you know, it shouldn't be this, like you're either in or you're out, you know, in my opinion. And, you know, I'm not in compared to a lot of people too, right? (laughs) I mean, I still, you know, brother, your content is very good, but get rid of all your music. It's haram. And I'm just like, well, you know, thank you very much for your opinion. You know, I, I appreciate that. And if you believe music is haram and it and it helps you to get closer to Allah by not listening to music, may Allah increase you and and you know give you all that power. But don't now you know impose your meaning on me when it's something. And again, this is something that is not absolutely clear in Islam. There's no law that says music is absolutely haram in Islam, from my knowledge, right? And all the, the few hadiths that often people quote, and again, I kicked it with the Salafis, so I know all the arguments. Okay? <laughs> I know all those arguments. And, you know, there there is, you know, it, it's, again, there's ways you can take one hadith or one ayah and interpret it in many, so many different, different ways. So you, many. it's not that simple. Right, you have to also recognize, for example, that some hadiths, the Prophet was talking to Johnny. He was talking to Johnny about Johnny's situation, not the Umrah. You know what I mean? So some people take that hadith and they're like, "See, the Prophet said to this man, do this and do that," and it's like, "Yeah, but he was that was Johnny's circumstance. He had a specific situation with his marriage or his his finances. So that was the Prophet what he said to him. Now we can extract." meaning off of that and maybe formulate other opinions that's the whole concept or process of fiqh but to crystallize something and just say you know apply across the board except for what is known in the deen you know min al ma'ruf bid darura right what what is already established in the religion by necessity you know like i'm never going to argue that no it's my truth that alcohol is okay or it's my truth that i get to pray every other day you know it's like no that's just you know that's your own madness now you know, with all due respect, right? Or, oh, God is really a woman, you know, or whatever nonsense people want to come up with. You know, that's that's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the things that, you know, it's clear that it's not 100% uh, established. And very few things in Islam, by the way, are, right? Most of the Quran does not deal with law. It's all storytelling, Lessons, morality, existential questions and philosophical visions and dialogues of the world and the nature of things and human psychology and more. That's what the Quran mostly is, people. It's not a book of laws, right? It only deals with about 500 verses that talk about actual laws when it comes to ibadat and mu'amalat, right? Mm -hmm. So that's interesting when you think about it, is 95% of the book is not talking about laws. Interesting. You know? making things static and lastly if the quran is really meant to be a guidance for all people in all times in all times then then the meaning which is the kalam allah allah's speech allah's not allah is alive the quran's words are alive then it follows that the words are alive which means the meaning and the power and the value will also be alive and that means it's not going to be static and crystallized and stuck in 7th or 10th or 20th century it's It's going to constantly speak to all of us through that divine speech and some of the quran is a historical i mean all of it is a historical in my opinion and some of it is historical like there are some things that were addressing specific things happening at the time of musa at the time of rasulullah and the point here is that those are just forms 
different forms to get the same value delivered. That's why all the prophets taught the same message. But the, the sharia, the, the, you know, the culture was, was different. But in the end, it was the same substance. Right? And so I really think that that's important for us to remember is the Quran, if it's really going to be for all people in all times, in all cultures, in all situations, then it's not static and, and stuck in time. There's no way. That doesn't make sense. It has to be reinterpreted or extracted powerful new meanings for every people and time and place that tries to approach the Quran with that right, uh, you know, with that sincerity. Uh -huh. Am I, you know, that's how I feel about it, you know, because how else can it be really for all people in all times and all places if it's just one way for, you know, for everything, you know? And I'll give you a simple example because some people might be confused. And, and again, I'm not reinterpreting things that are, like we say, like, oh, God is actually a monster in, you know, a spaghetti monster because I, I got that meaning from my reading of it today. Or this is no longer haram or we don't have to pray five times a day because that's my reading of it. I'm not talking about that stuff. I'm talking about that which is consistent with 1400 years of tradition as far as the the clear values and principles that are unchanging. And there's evergreen truths in every culture and religion. It's not just the Muslims, okay? But I'm talking about giving that form, that polish, that color of those values. It will have different variations. So simple thing is stop burying your daughters alive. One of the first commands that came to the Prophet, you know, I remember a brother once, I was doing some marriage counseling, he was telling me, you know, I don't find the Quran's not even relevant, man. It talks about slavery and burying your daughters. Like, how the hell does that apply to anything in our time today? Right? Just genuine skepticism. And I, you know, all I did, bro, I, I turned to his wife, I said, sister, you're a woman. Tell me, does burying your daughters alive have any modern implications? And she went on for 10 minutes. You know? Yeah, totally, bro. You know? daughters are oppressed in their homes they're emotionally intimacy stunted they're ab literally abused or physically abused or this yes daughters are still buried alive in the modern context there you go that's one exa simple example of the timeless value that the words of allah actually has for us if we actually approach it with that heart humble heart to receive when we go to allah we go like this let me get some not let me find what I want or what I think. That's not how you approach the Quran. Just like that's not how you approach someone you need a favor from. You go humbly. <laughs> yeah. Right? Yeah. It's not, yo, you better give me this because I, I said so. No one's be like, well, you guess you're, give, you're walking to the airport then. I'm not giving you <laughs> Right? That's not how it works. But yet we think we can do that with Kitab Allah. Mm, may Allah guide us. You know, and increase us, inshallah. But brothers, thank you so much for your valuable time. Put 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 me in the books for uh, another coffee. Yes, and a conversation. Absolutely, soon, absolutely. We got we got to get you on our podcast too, inshallah. Yeah, inshallah, we'll come out to uh, California. Don't do that, Akhi. You're gonna ruin all your ratings. <laughs> <laughs> Not with a conversation like this. Exactly. <laughs> a lot more, a lot more to be had. Absolutely. Why don't you guys tell us how would, how we can find you? Uh, we'll close with that. Yeah, perfect. I mean, you can find us, shoot us a direct message on Instagram and Twitter, Young and Muslim. That's Y O N G, the letter N, Muslim, Young and Muslim. You forgot the U. Y O U N G, N, Muslim. <laughs> yeah, and you guys can find me at Old and Muslim. Kidding. <laughs> 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 Young and Muslim, baby. Thank you, brother Kareem. Thank you. Thank you, brother. 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 Thank you, brother